ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Welcome back to another week of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Um, I am joined today by my good friend and colleague, the one and only Marlon Favorite. Marlon, it's Marlon Monday. It's by accident, but we go. This, this is going to air on Monday, so it's a Marlon Monday, my friend. It happened by accident, but it's, it's right on time. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Absolutely, and there's a lot to discuss um, in the world of college sports, in particular. And with uh, LSU right here at home. So the first, we're going to deal with this, the more serious stuff first, and then we'll get into some of the things from this first week of camp. Um, the NCAA Division I Board of Directors has announced that all fall sport participants um, are getting an extra year of eligibility, regardless of the number of games that they play. And that, that counts for football, soccer, volleyball, cross country, whatever else. And it will not account – this is the part that we were worried about, I think. It will not count against next year's scholarship total. But the schools do have to take on the additional cost of any players who do um, decide to stay for that extra year. So, yeah, you get to hold on to some of these players, but at the same time, it's still going to cost you the money of holding on to those players. Yeah, you're right. D is going to cost them the money. Uh, and then it's it's something that has to be respected across the board. It just can't say, okay, we need this player, so let's use his eligibility, and the next guy will just have to get it how he lives. It's not going to be one of those situations at all. Uh, in the case of the Jamar Chases of the world, they're out of there. <laughs> you know, right. they, those guys, all they needed is another year of school, and they're in, in the green. So I think looking at it from that perspective, um, along with – and if you, if you keep in mind with guys who – I mean, we have a guy, Kalen Parker. He graduated from Dortmouth, finished there. The NCAA just granted him another year of eligibility. <clears throat> He's trying to find a home. And if he does, according to this rule, he has another year of eligibility. So I think it's good for the guys who, who needed that extra year. And at the same time, it, it, it's big for the NCAA to be the – the leader in, in making sure that guys are, are, are getting fair treatment. Yeah. And, and like you said, there's still some things that are going to have to be worked out for people who want to transfer. That's part of this is too. I think this is to cut off that possibility of, of schools openly recruiting players to leave during this time. If their school is not playing fall football, um, and I, I think, it, you know, there's going to still be more question marks as to how these things apply still for early admissions um, that, that we know the schools want folks to come in in January, February for those early graduates. And then you still talk about being able to prepare for recruiting, knowing that you do have these extra numbers potentially. But it also means the onus is on these coaching staffs to help players and maybe in some cases – be kept from forcing players to make decisions about their futures. Right, exactly. Give case in point, we saw that Kerry Vinson made the decision to opt out this season. It was going to probably be more guys making that decision because it is tough. It's a short season. 
Uh, it's unorthodox. You won't be able to play non-conference games. You won't be able. So it's a it's a different deal, and it could affect some guys' draft stat, uh, stock because of the lack of tape. So I think that's a, a cool move for them to go ahead and give guys another year of eligibility if needed. Yeah, it's it, it, we're also going to see that the NCAA is trying to conduct its fall championships in the spring, depending on um, how the other conferences may decide to, to go. Um, at this point, we still have six conferences in, in FBS football who are willing to go at this. Um, are you, do you think that any of them – you know, stop before we get to a season or delay any further, or is it just six against the world? It sounds like it's going to be a six against the world. I don't know if it's a situation where, and I know a lot of the big, big 10 guys were upset. I know Justin Fields started that deal, but it is one of those seasons that, that, that got away. So crowning a champion this year is going to be a weird deal on top of that, making a determination. You saw Miles uh, Sideboy, you saw Miles Brennan was on the watch list for the Heisman. Because there isn't a Justin Fields uh, and quarterbacks of that caliber playing um, this fall. So the, the, to look at the spring isn't a bad deal just to make it fair, but I kind of think about what Nick Saban was saying about spring ball. It's going to be more like a JV league because of all of the draft and, and you know things of that nature. Guys who wish they would have had their fall to be evaluated in. There are some alternative leagues that play semi-pro ball in the fall. Um, you know, we talked about the spring football league, and then there are others, um, the state's developmental football league. There are, you know, a number of minor leagues around the country. How viable are some of those for guys who – were seniors this year coming in as seniors, knew they were borderline guys. They, they, they don't want to spend an additional year in school because it's, it's an additional year of, of hits. Do you think that those minor programs are um, viable options for some of these players to get reps in and to possibly get chances with coaches who do have some pro experience uh, behind them? Those leagues are very risky. It depends on the player. If you're already a high-caliber player, you could go play in one of those leagues just to stay in shape and get the tape. Um, I actually just started working with the NOLA Gold Rugby team, and I'm talking to a couple of players that we're training, not rugby players, football players. You might want to consider either getting on one of the rugby crews locally that, that practice against us, basically our practice squads, and or give this a shot because it'll keep you in super duper shape. I think that's going to be the that's the hidden gem that a lot of people aren't talking about. We're so used to seeing players at their best when they're in their best shape. We've never seen a Corona player. That's why if you look at the NFL, look how long it took for the league to even I was still two, three more weeks before the first game. That's because you really have to take a month and some change to get guy, guys' bodies back reacclimated. So those semi-pro leagues, depending on the league, I know the XFL would be great um, if guys have an opportunity. I wish Arena was still around. I thought that that was a great league for that because of the amount of talent and the coaches you can have. And those semi-pro leagues, those are a little, little risky. I mean, you're playing football, but the the, le the level of talent right. isn't where it needs to be. So you can risk losing stop. But for those fringe guys who may not be able to get seen, if you're, let's say you are a fifth year offensive lineman already at a small school, 
you don't want to do the six year, you've graduated, you've done all those things. What other options are there maybe available to you to try to make a path to professional football, to get seen, to get um, trained? Uh, if, you know, is this where agents become, are going to become very powerful voices on campus trying to get guys to, to step out and say, look, we can pay you to train up until the draft. Why take this risk in this season where you can't know these variables from state to state, from team to team, from program to program? Maybe this is the best option for you. For some guys, yes, that fifth that fifth year guy who at that small school, maybe in a a smaller FCS or Division One AA school, I would consider playing semi pro just to get those reps and get more tape because you you know from that. But in, in the case of a top notch guy like from a Big Twelve, well, I'm school, saying, do they leave to just go train? Like, how many agents come in and try to go after those? upper tier guys now or those guys who don't want to take those hits and say, look, just, just come and train. Don't play at all. Just come and work oh. on your skill set and we'll pay for that while you get ready for the NFL draft. We'll take that cost on, you know, how viable is it for those guys at the top and for those mid-level guys who are on radar, but maybe are scouted as seventh round or undrafted free agents for this year, you know, and, and are missing out a whole nother year out maybe takes them off the board for, you know, if they waited. Got you. Yeah, as opposed to going back to school and taking that risk, just signing with an agent, being a professional, getting into training. And it's a number of things, the seven-on-sevens, even doing, like, athletic performances, stuff like that in that time frame. So that way you're around a nutritionist, you're getting the weight training. It's almost like an extended OTAs as opposed to a full season. So in that case, it may make sense. You're going to want to, right, with the time frame to your point, you're going to want to make sure that you're filling that time in with something else. I know that's something we've been uh, – has been a challenge for us during corona with the training with Conquer Sports. Even with that, we had to make sure we did a lot of game simulation, half-line game simulation, so guys could go through the football movement. Because to your point, just lifting weights, just getting cardio, just doing speed improvement, that's not enough. You have to make sure you're doing those simulations so when you get back out there, you're not rusty. Yeah, so it's, it's going to be a difficult decision for a lot of folks to make. So you're talking about you already have 85 scholarships for each team. 35 walk-ons, and most of your Power 5 schools carry 35 walk-ons. And then you're going to be talking about the guys who come back for next year, which for LSU or a school like LSU, we ain't really worried about. You know, you you figure we're going to lose 6 to 10 seniors. We're going to lose 10 maybe undergrad, you know, juniors. Our, Our spots are generally okay. But what you do have is... Again, that cost in a season where revenues will be down, that part, and I, I think, you know, we've already seen Scott Woodward out there dealing with alumni and trying to figure out ways to get additional revenue through tax-free um, fundraising and things like that. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be a task for the for for these schools to be able to absorb those full scholarship offers for guys that they've some of them we've carried for four and five years already. Yeah, that's going to be tough. You're looking at right at about 10, 15 grand a kid uh, because of apartments, because of living expenses, nutrition. Those numbers do add up. And to be able to accommodate each player is going to be tougher. So that's where 
I mean, universities are probably going to be the clash of minds. Everybody's going to have to figure out what's the best. As you mentioned, a, a tax-free deductible deal, maybe uh, donating some money or, or doing some type of L3C. It's, it's a number of different ways they're going to have to. He has his – the ADs, you're right, like ADs, um, administrations, upper-level folks have a lot of work to do with the logistics of moving forward once everything goes back. Yeah, and, and um, the other part of that, too, is for those other sports, for carrying, you know, for making sure that you have scholarships available for those, what we call the non-revenue sports. But, you know, they, they are just as, as valuable to the school as everybody else, so people can't forget those students as well. The SEC has added a third weekly test for COVID-19 for its con- high-contact sports. Do you think three tests is enough per week? Um, would you like to see there be more testing on the college level or is it just at this point, financially, you take what you can get? Financially, you, you take what you can get, but you want to make sure you're taking all the precautionary measures possible. So that's monitoring to see if a guy has a fever or something like that. And on top of that, doing the testing so you could get those negatives or positives and start getting those guys to quarantine. It's going to be a logistic headache if they don't have it all together. So I think that's something they've probably been thinking about the entire summer. Now, my next piece is, okay, so all of them getting the testing through the nose, or is that more sophisticated? Are they doing, like, maybe urine samples now? Are they, you know, maybe doing the tonsils? I think that they've changed some of the testing because some of them are rapid, um, but they still have the longer tests. I know the SEC has is now using – a third party administrator for the test so that they are not all the schools have to send their stuff to the same place and have it tested. So um, at the very least, there is some uniformity there. Uh, But I think that they're trying to get the most rapid results as possible, which are more expensive, uh, of course. So, but I don't think they're doing all their tests that way. I think it's the, the pre the pre game week, you know, like uh, the pre game testing, I think on the Friday, before a game, I think rapid. those will be the most rapid. Um, the others will be like the 24 to 48 report. So um, we'll see what, what happens with that. But three, you'd like it to see, I mean, even be a little bit more, um, especially seeing the rates of transmission that we're seeing on college campuses. I hope I hope that we continue to try to push as we see this, if, if the numbers don't get down, that we see a, more, a push to get more testing as it, if hopefully the cost goes down and it's more readily available to schools. Yeah, that's going to be the biggest thing, the cost going down. We we will need more tests because we're just thinking of the nature of the game, guys are going to be in contact. <laughs> After contact, you have to shower, so you're going to have to go straggling showers. I'm just looking at everywhere a germ or a virus could be transmitted. I mean, you saw in the NBA with the bubble, they're not allowed to shower in the facility. They got to go back to their rooms and shower football. You can't do that. You know what I mean? You can't yeah, have that's, you can't have all those guys making the migration over to yeah. to their do- to their dorms, their apartments, or whatever post game. Yeah, that's that's not gonna work. They're not getting yeah, twelve guys work. on a bus. This is mm. yeah, that's because you can say football. It's in basketball. They're not wearing equipment. We have equipment over that, so all of that. <laughs> Folks listening probably like that noise is just, yeah, that's I mean sweaty that's big guys. Rubber, I mean, it's, no, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's just, yeah, see see that's the stuff nobody's really talking about. 
we're kind of just thinking of, okay, here are these guys. They're in uniform. They're on the field in helmets. They're hitting. But no one's paying attention to post-game. <laughs> like, think about You know how you dab everybody off at the end of the game? You probably be like, hey, brother, social distance level, brother. Yeah, it's – Boy, it's it is going to be a very interesting one. The whole thing is just being hype and getting in your man's face. You know, you touch a bumping face mask and all, it's over. All that's that's over, bro. Like I said, basketball. I've been watching a, a, a little bit of the finals. Damian Litter has really uh, impressed me inside the bubble. He's someone I know right now. The Lakers are leading that series. Go Lakers! But I, I do uh, for for just a lover of the game of basketball and lover of the sport. You have to love Damian Litter. Oh yeah, that that dude is that's Mamba mentality for him for sure. Um, they're also doing the cardiac testing, which is very important for these athletes because we're mm-hmm. seeing the cardiac impact that it's had on a number of young people. Um, they're gonna need baselines for all these kids for their heart studies to make sure that you see um, and long term observation too. It's 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 got to go beyond this year. And that's something that schools are going to have to deal with as well. Yeah, because it's it's a liability from from the start. And another thing, too, we're talking about body, right? We're talking about cardiovascular. We're talking about the heart with that. <clears throat> You're talking about just keeping guys upper respiratory systems healthy. But what about their minds? <clears throat> You're going into this situation. You have to be mentally prepared for this as well. And watching family members die, watching, hearing – uh, of the numbers going up and, and this fear of the corona for a lot of folks, you have to keep keep that in mind with these athletes as well. It's it's a completely different mindset. It's a shift because you, your closeness and physical proximity is your – for most of us in the high school and colleges, you, you are – that's relationship building time, whether it's with your teammates or your classmates, and you tend to be in proximity of those people, those groups of folks that you hang out with. So it's not only a change in mindset from the practice field, but it's socially around these campus, the ones that are open versus the ones that are closed more so. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be a difficult cultural shock once school officially starts for a lot of these these guys. Yes. Uh, the signs. Six feet here, make sure you're keeping your mask on. Seeing that, like, it's almost like a new transportation signal. <laughs> like, you know, we used to seeing a stop sign. We used to seeing the lights. They're going to have a lot of that up. And just being able to remove as much as possible the human interactions. It's, it's in people's feelings to come give you a big dap and a hug or, you know, you want to kiss somebody on a cheek that you didn't see in a long time. Um <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm thinking about just basic stuff like human relations, right? Yeah. Like they got the mask up. So it's a hello, somebody. Watch out there. It's a it's a lot to think about. It it, it is living. It is literally living in a in an avatar, like a new world of how to operate. It's crazy. Right, it just happens just like that. And we'll see how those adjustments continue. I think that you know we're trying to see people do the best they can, but. It's, it, it's all we can do at this point, really. It just feels like all you can do is hope for the best and, and, hope, and hope for the best. And we'll see how this, look, this, 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 this is a signal, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You throw your hands up and just let it go. Um, this one is a, a much, much more serious 
uh, story that came out in USA Today this week, last week, about former LSU running back Darius Geis. Um, as you know, he was released by the Washington football team after um, being arrested for domestic violence um, allegations in Virginia. Um, and now uh, there are these allegations that come back from his career at LSU during his freshman year that he um, sexually assaulted two LSU students. Um, the story was being written even before he was arrested um, on the domestic violence, even before that became a thing. So for, for the timing of it, folks worried about the timing. This was actually, he kind of messed up the timing for himself, really, by having this other incident. But the difficult thing here is, let's deal with the first part um, before we get into Darius, because there's so many details there. But let's get into the part that affects LSU immediately. Ed Orgeron's name was brought into um, the conversation uh, by a former athlete who dated one of these women who says that Orgeron mentioned this specifically, um, and he was offended by that. Um, if Ed Orgeron is known, found out to have known about this and or just ignored it at the very least and or at the very worst, you know, a paternal type thing where you just covered it up, how much trouble could he potentially be in with LSU? Well, I think the biggest thing uh, is the timing of everything. Coach Ed Ogeron became a full head coach in 2017, which wasn't Darius Geis' freshman year. So I, I think that comes into play in Coach Oz's favor. Um, I did read his statement. He did mention that the, he didn't want to release the kid's name, but he said that it's the same conversation if it's if it was as, as if it was my son. So it's you know talking about the heartbreak. Uh, been on a co we, we've been on college campuses a lot. There is a lot of gray area with a lot of this stuff in regards to uh, consent, non-consent. I can't really comment on that because obviously this is something that's still being investigated. But for Coach Ozeron, I think he just made the best possible statement he could make for himself along with the timing. So when he became the head coach, wasn't Darius Geis' freshman year. So he wasn't the coach there. And then this story, you just never know uh, why now that, that happens. And, uh, you know, LSU being at the top. So I'm not jumping on a defense for Coach Ed Ogeron nor Darius Geis. All I'm simply saying is it has to continue to be investigated. And I can't intelligently speak on what happened. All I could do is just take both sides of the story and form an opinion. It is sad. This is something that we are dealing with um, on a daily basis. Uh, I have a niece. I have female friends. Uh, I have three boys that I, that I have to raise and, and tell them to treat their women with respect. But just knowing Darius guys, we hadn't, how they say, how we say, we didn't shoot dice. But just being around the program the last few years, every time I see him, it's always a big smile, happy kid, uh, appear to be very humble and approach uh, every situation just hard. And then you hear his backstory. Uh, so you start thinking about the psychological thing to this. Like what what transpired, transpired in his life to make these things happen? I don't care how angry I could, me personally, I can speak about myself, how angry I get, I wouldn't put my hand on a female, right? And that's how I raised my sons. We don't know. We do know that at a very tender age, he lost his dad. So automatically, he doesn't have a father figure in his life. I think a lot of times when we deal with 
crimes that happen and things that happen in this way, we don't dig into the mind of what may have led that person to think like that. Now that person is an adult. So as an adult, you do have a responsibility, but I do think just in a general statement, Darius Geis has a lot of uh, mental, <clears throat> mental things psychologically he has to sit down with and, and, and really cope with, like sit down and talk with a therapist. Um, now that, I mean, the kid's career essentially is over. I mean, we could pray for the best, but we, we know how this story goes in, in regards to domestic violence in, in, in any professional profession, let alone on the NFL. So my prayers go out to Darius and his family. Um, hopefully this, this all clears up. Um, I, I pray that um, whatever the case may, may be, that all parties are, are, are safe now and, and at, at better peace mentally. Yeah, there were things that um, were, you know, spoken about while he was at LSU. That was one of the reasons that people said he dropped in the draft when he came out. Um, now you have this arrest, you have the allegations. And then, like you said, it's we know how the league works. And Darius has also been a guy who's been hurt the last couple seasons. So when you're hurt and you have trouble, there isn't really a path for you quickly back to the NFL. Not at all. It's it's the nature of the beast. It is business. I mean, these these are billionaires. So if it affects their bottom line, they just cut their loss. And unfortunately, in this situation, for a kid that has so much potential, he, he was first-round talent coming out of LSU, as you mentioned, dropped in the draft because of the allegations. Or Because remember, at that time, it wasn't anything about any sexual assaults. They was just saying off the field. He was immature. Yeah. Immature. There was all of that stuff. And that's why that in that piece right there, that kind of get me because if something like this did happen at LSU, I know working for the NFL and, and being around the NFL, not just as a player, I'm talking about even on a broadcast and then now just being in, in these rooms, like FBI formal investigator. Well, let let's go through staff. some of that. Let's go through some of that because this is important. <laughs> these the, there are things here that are institutional breakdowns that do that we do know for certain at this point. Now, whether we know if the allegations or not are true, we don't know. And that's what the investigation will – but know. we do know LSU has some issues here based on some of these statements. So two coaches were told, and the Title IX administrator of the university was told, and um, the university nurse. Uh, LSU has yet to provide the Title IX report that um, the student made their allegations in, but it has been requested by the university, but it has not been provided at this point. Um, also, we have the, the allegation that tennis coach Julia Sell told the student, the tennis player that was assaulted, that she didn't believe her. And that the nurse told her that Darius was a big man on campus and that this would probably be ignored. And she alleges that there was harassment afterwards, that guys threw things, um, came by her apartment, um, opened, the, you know, busted open doors told her that she didn't know who she was messing with, threw things on her car. Um, and there are about six witnesses and letters from that time when she went into rehabilitation um, that document these things and they are consistent. So at the very least, if LSU's Title IX department 
I, you know, my thing is this athletic department should not be in charge of investigating any of these things. Student athletes are students first. This should be the university's job to handle these types of disciplinary actions. There should be no way for a coach to get involved at all other than to report that information if they get it immediately, immediately to the university so that you step out of it and let the chain of command do its job. But right. in this case, yeah, if the Title IX folks did not do what they were supposed to do and if these coaches did not do what they were supposed to do, then I think Scott Woodard has to go through this and the president of the university and the board of regents need to make sure that they are in compliance with all those guidelines. And I do, I do feel confident being a former athlete at LSU and even being around a program now that they're going to go through all the proper steps to get all of this stuff resolved. Um, I don't know why the word timing just pops in my head a lot. Like, as you mentioned earlier, the timing of this happening, and this was an article that was already writing, I mean, being uh, written, and he just so happened to be in some other stuff on on th- three different occasions. Is I don't want to make it, I don't, and I don't want this to sound like I'm making excuses for LSU or Darius guys. I just I just hope that um, everyone in this situation experienced justice, and we we just I, I do think th- these are things that I know we talk about these issues, but I think they need to be enforced more because. It's a young athlete right now that may not be mature enough to handle himself in any situation, whether it's with another woman or whether it's in public, you know, disturbing the peace. All of these things can become issues. So just being able to get the players young as freshmen when they come in and start really talking. Like, we, we they talk about these things, but they need to talk about these you things. You need to provide so – they need to provide greater mental health student services yes. to allow a space outside of the athletic world and outside of the student world for these students, like you're talking about, these guys on these teams that have things. If Darius guys, I would imagine over the course of his life, never really had a deep emotional conversation with somebody he didn't know about what happened with his father, without about what happened with his, his childhood, about the way he feels about those things. And dealing with that aggression, yeah, these guys take it out on a football field, but a lot of them don't have the ability like you or someone else to turn that switch off and go back to being a part of a functional part of society. That mindset stays with them because that's what protects them on a day-to-day basis from what they grew up with. You had to keep that mentality 24-7 because there are predators out here who are trying to make sure I don't get out of this place. Correct. And I also look at it as your football coach is your sensei, right? I think about it in martial art form. So I think even training the coaches to be more of a figure, not saying not necessarily just a, a parenting figure, but a mentoring figure to the student athletes to talk about them. Like, you're right. Everything is just – they're just drilling football into us. It was a tough road getting back into my my correct mental space, and I'm still working on bits and pieces of it, and I'm five years removed from sports in that, in that regard. But as you mentioned, the difference is um, – and I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone has a spiritual life in some form or fashion, but being able to have a substantial amount of faith but also having the ability to reinvent yourself outside of just being titled as a football player or a basketball player. You're much more than that. 
And I think a lot of times from a psychological standpoint that when guys are away from the game, like think about it, the coronavirus, these injuries, this mental hole, this you're supposed to be this. And it's a lot of pressure that goes into being an NFL player. I experienced tons of it. And I was considered as a guy, I was just a practice squad guy. So I can only imagine a guy like Darius Geis, what he's going through mentally at such a – like, you in your early 20s. I remember – you remember when you were in your early 20s. I remember when I was – This is these are two different men. The David Grubb I'm sitting here talking to right now is totally different. Probably have some same – you probably the same personality, but mature – Right, Since the, age the of decision, yeah, fundamentally, the I'm the same right. person, but I would never do some twice. of the things, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that I did back in the day, and that that is a problem, man. You, you talk about the poor guy with those expectations, you know. At the time when I watched him at LSU, um, I thought he was a better back than Leonard Fournette. I thought he would have a better a career because yeah. of the wiggle and the speed that he had. Um, I just thought, you know, and again, this is a dude who has the LSU single game rushing record, has four of the top eight single game rushing performances in LSU history. This is not a guy without talent, but it also brings back to mind the the tragedy that was Cecil to Diesel Collins. Correct. A guy who never got help, never got help no. until it was too late. Now he's in jail because he just, nobody would help him when it was clear that he was asking for it. And think about it. How valuable was Cecil and Darius Geis to LSU, right? And don't get me wrong. The medical staff at LSU, still to this day for me, is everything. See Jack Marucci, my boy Andy not there right now. He just retired from over there. And Shelly, like, these were mentors to us, right? But it's only so much that they can do. And I was one of those vocal players. Like I would come to Shelly about issues and Shelly, she has the biggest heart ever was there to help, help me out with a lot of these things. And a lot of guys, a lot of times the, the good folks that we have over at LSU, they just don't know. Like to the world, this is Darius guys, this prolific running back. Not knowing when he goes home, have on that helmet, that child is dealing with something. That's what I see. Like, I didn't have some teammates. I'm like, man, this dude here will throw it off. He'll look crazy. We got to watch him. Let's be, okay, like, well, let's be serious for a second then on that. The likelihood, based on numbers, is that you probably played with somebody who committed a, a felonious assault on somebody. More than one, maybe. I mean, based on just the statistics that we have nationally. Do in a locker room, how do guys and how do coaches really deal with these kinds of conversations and the discipline around these kinds of things? Until something happens, we don't usually talk about it. And, and, and that's to our point. I do think coming in, even if a guy doesn't have that issue, he still needs to go through some type of course to get, get, get all of this through. Because like I said, I have a teammate right now that's incarcerated. My my man Xavier Carter, man Xavier, stay strong over there in Cali. But we knew coming in, like Xavier is fastest guy in the world. We knew coming in, Xavier had some issues, and that's a friend of mine. You know, this is somebody we all came in, we rolled together. But uh, after a few, like 
when Xavier went pro, I didn't get we didn't hang around as much because he went pro early after our sophomore year. He took Nike and he was gone, but Xavier was definitely dealing with some issues. We all knew this, and we just kind of laughed about it. Now he's in jail, so I I think what happens is when they that when you detect a guy has mental issues and could be detrimental to the team, you just cut him off, right? You just get him away from the program, and that makes the subject even deeper. Or we just viewed as just athletes, right? Like, what have you done for me lately is the name of this business. And I think it, it needs to be more of a human side. I get it. This business, think about the recruiting process. You go to these schools, they roll out the red carpet. The prettiest girl on campus come walk you around the whole time, you know, and, oh, that's a nice which shirt is, to Which have is a on. missed signal already because you are teaching young men that these it's are the It's a sell, though. Yeah. You have to sell. I, I get both sides, but I'm just saying. But it's a – I mean, it, you know, would you present that in the reverse? You know, when, no. when, women, when young women come to the campus to be recruited oh. for the, the basketball team, are you bringing men who are attractive to, to escort those young women around campus? You're not doing that. You know what I'm saying? So – it, you are telling the message that this is where they go. You have schools have entire things dedicated uh, for women in that role to escort players around and show them a good time. That doesn't happen in the reverse. It doesn't happen for the swim team. It ain't happening for this. So you've mm-hmm. kind of put a different mentality in that goes back to the, the lessons that they learned in high school. That you know the things that they did not learn in high school from the fact that people, like you said, ha- are unwilling to have the conversation until something happens. And that's, and that's all in, in on the recruiting, competing and withholding information to save your tail. Because the, at the very end of the day, you have to build a program. So this five-star athlete coming here, you have to roll out the red carpet. And let's just be honest, when you're in that spotlight, life is easier. Life is so much easier. Like, you don't I, – I, again, I, <laughs> I'm a married man, so I hadn't had to go, you know, spit game in a very long time. But it wasn't much spitting game and when you're a high-caliber high athlete. You don't have to – like, certain stuff now, you do have, you know, a woman that you may really like. Oh, he arrogant. He think he all that because he played football and all that stuff. So you may have to kind of, you know – wine and dine that lady but for the most part and so that piece is so that 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 little section we're talking about alone is the gray area i was talking about earlier Mm -hmm. so who's to say if you're a high power athlete you have you like hypothetically speaking before i say anything in the soundbite world hype i want to say hypothetically speaking before i make my comments hypothetically speaking you have two intoxicated human beings a man and a female and some intercourse happened Hypothetically speaking, a female say, oh, guy forced me. Guy said, no, I didn't. But there is evidence that there was sex, sexual intercourse happening. So nine out of ten chances, that high-profile athlete is going to catch the charge as opposed to, that's what I say, you... But the convictions I, for women who do come, it, I mean, the conviction rate is absurdly low. Like, even by mathematical standards, there's no way that the conviction rate for these things should be as low as it is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing when you get into he said, she said. But at the same time, 
as as an athlete, as an individual, you know, you can't be making these temporary decisions that have permanent outcomes. That's true too. That's true too. You have to, and and that's where a level of maturity coming to play at. You know, most of these guys are just out of high school. It's their first time being around all these beautiful women, and you you have to be intelligent, and that's why it's important to surround, make the environment. You can't control everywhere your student athletes are. You could just lay the law. Hey. We don't want y'all doing X, Y, and Z. So it's the conviction rates are because it's it's just and that's why my heart goes out to all the ladies out there because it's a lot of it's real victims at home right now. These could be these ladies uh, could be victims, and that's why I say everything's being investigated. And I said that's a that's a very thin line, um, but it's a subject again. That's what we're having in the conversation because I think mm-hmm. it is something that we need to talk about. And each side needs to be viewed because you are the, on the flip side. There's athletes that feel like there's their guys gift to earth, and all these women owe them. Yes, you know, like yeah. So, so now you're gonna get you and 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 being that way forceful, and, and that you've guy seen is it a problem on all those levels. You see yeah. it at the high school. You see it at the collegiate level. You see it, of course. We see it in the NFL, and the the difficult thing is like. Now that women are speaking up, and this is all part two of a greater, I think the reason this all came out is that these women are part of a class action lawsuit against the NCAA. Geis's name and the details weren't, his name is not explicitly in that, but through that, all these things are now coming out. And I think it's going to be more reporting around this at other schools as well. I don't think Darius Geis obviously is the only one on this list, but universities are really going to have to get serious, I think, in the way, in taking discipline on these types of things. It's one thing to break a team rule. I didn't show up to practice. Uh, you know, or I came up, I, I walked in late. I didn't have the proper, my playbook with, those are things that coaches are prepared to discipline for. But these things, no matter what the outcome is, no matter, it's the best thing for any coach to do, in my opinion, to report it and get the hell out of the way. And let the people so that no one can ever say I knew or said something that I didn't or that my involvement was any more or less than it should have been. Don't make a joke about it. Don't make a comment about it. Report it immediately. Get it documented and say I have done my job because beyond that, there's no control in this world over how it's going to come out. Not at all. And especially in this climate where we're Every, any bit of racism that's being exposed is being reported. Any sexual assaults, male or female being reported, um, it, 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 it's not being taken lightly. So I do think that when a f- incoming freshman coming in week one needs to be, here's the do's and the don'ts. Because again, these kids know, but when you hear from the coach and you hear about the penalties, it, it's a different view. Like I said, back when we were in college, this is the early 2000s. <laughs> you look at that between 2004 and, 2000, and 2008, as fresh off a natty, into some BCS stuff, back out of some BCS, into it again, back out of natty. You know, so it was the time frame, when you're winning, everybody love you. So the time frame was good. You wasn't dealing with a losing program and you – no, we were top in the country. So the access to have wonderful conversations and be in a company 
of beautiful individuals was easy. It wasn't a for, it, it wasn't anything forced. And I think the unique thing about the guys on our team was the leadership before us. Guys like Marcus Spears, Melvin Oliver, these guys set the the tone on how to handle yourself, how to be professional and how to conduct yourself on campus. And we just really forced our, ourselves, uh, you know, forced it in our minds to conduct ourselves these ways. So that needs to really be, even if it's not an issue, you need to make it an issue. Yep, and like, continuously talk about it, and not just in the sense of punishment, but just, hey, this is how you deal with women. This You have to learn this, and it's not, you know, it's not always on the women to teach us. It's for us to pay attention and to, to start adjusting our mindset. Because, quite frankly, you and I both know, we've had to unlearn things that we just assumed as, as young men about women, and you've had to unlearn things to say, things the way you, things that you thought were okay to act. And it's, it's, it's a process. It's not easy. It's like, it's no different than what we're asking people to do with racism is you got to unlearn behaviors that you subconsciously and unconsciously took on over the years Mm -hmm. in order to change your mindset to do this better. And men have to do it the same with women as we're asking everybody else as black folks, we're asking for everybody else to do for us. No doubt. All right, let's go to the on the field stuff because there's no easy transition for something out of that. But let's go to the on the field. Right now, LSU's ranked sixth in ESPN's power rankings. There are really only three games on the schedule that people view as toss ups. Um, I'm sure you could predict them Florida, Auburn, and Alabama. <laughs> um, so LSU right now predicted to go nine and one. Um, when you look at the schedule, if it, if all if, so, I just say this so that we don't have to say it again. All things being considered, looking at this schedule, I don't think it's any surprise that those three games would be the toss-ups. No surprise at all. Those are the three games I'm looking forward to. But the things I like about those games, I'll start with the Florida game. That Florida team has a lot of potential, and I just like watching really good football games. And they're they're always. Uh, a DB savvy school with our receiving core. I love to see that game. So that'll be a nice matchup. I think Auburn uh, was our toughest battle last year. I think Auburn was the second best team in the country. If you ask me, because we were the first bet best. And that was the closest team. That was the closest team to beating us. Last Florida year. came close too. Florida was, what was the Florida score? It was, was it ended home? up being 14, but remember Florida was marching in, and they were down yeah. seven, and, and they didn't go for it on first, fourth down on that stupid call, get it picked off, and then LSU scores again, and that was the final margin. Florida was close. It was at home. Yeah. You're right. It was, it was close. Because they but were inside I, the I was, 15 at that point, and they were, they were going in for the tying score. And they go for fourth and one, and they do a rollout. I, that was Dan Mullen trying to be too cute. T- trying to be too cute. Uh I don't know, D. It's a because it, it's just a, I think I guess because Auburn was so physical up front with their D line, and Florida was missing <laughs> D linemen too, though, and they started Ooh. running back. You remember that? Yeah, that's true. That so and they starting quarterback. So you if, yeah, because they had task out there. That's right. So it was it was that Trash. was a tough game, man. That was a tough tough game. Auburn, you know, you get, you give him a quarterback, and now in his sophomore year, and it's still at home. Man, yeah, going to Auburn ain't never easy. Yeah, that's going. That's why I say Auburn worries me. And then you have, last but certainly not least, Alabama at home. That's big. 
talking about a game that's going to really determine whatever. And that's the next thing. I didn't get a chance to look into everything else in terms of college football. So we go 10-0. I don't want to say 9-1. And, and so what happens? Is it playoff? Like, what's – is it one game? <laughs> See, remember, See, like, yeah, they have no idea because the NCAA doesn't control the, the bowl games. So I guess it's going to depend on how many of those bowls are actually going to be up and running financially. But if you do a playoff in the fall, I mean, in the winter, and you don't have the Big Ten and the Pac-12 included, does anybody – because, I mean, the Big Ten has put up – multiple teams a couple of times last year they yeah. had what four teams in the top 10 so i mean the big 10 is going to be kind of irate if you don't put them in consideration if the ohio state penn state wisconsin michigan state michigans of the world can't get because get consideration uh, because they took this step in this season it's going to be crazy if they if they it's going to be crazy it's it, i don't know how to like do you crown like co-champions like I don't know. Do you do, maybe you do this. this? Maybe you do. You have the the games, all these conference champions, right, from the fall, and you let them determine their that group of four, uh, the group of three out of the big five, and you have these other three. So you end up with six teams, and you could do six and whittle it down, and then you let the Pac-12, Big Ten, whoever else is doing anything in the spring, do that. And when they're over, let them whittle it down, and you get one versus one out of those groups, and you play a championship game. Now, I, I knew that would generate gonna, a lot of money. That would generate a lot of money. Oh, that would be a lot of money because it's extended money. Like, it's fall money and it's spring money. But this is my thing. Okay, this is my only challenge with that. Okay, let's say, for instance, SEC teams. We So, basically, we're playing our championship games and all of that, right? That's out the way. We're going to be off another four months and got to get back in football to play them. See, so it's kind of – or they don't play any football and then play us. So it's kind of – I think it's got to be a co-year, bro. It got to be a co-year. It has to be a fall champion and spring and champion. spring champion. <laughs> and then just – yeah. Just live just, with it. Just live with it. It is what it is. That's the only way it could go. Because it's, it's just – it it It'd be so 2020, man. That's just tw- – that's how we gonna be at the end of this year. On December thirty first, we gonna be like 2020, 2020, man. Yeah, bro. Twenty twenty was it? You remember back in the G? I was still in like no, I was in middle school when it was the year two thousand. Everybody thought, every, boy, 2020, 20 years later. <laughs> it's late, but it's showing up, boy. It's late, but it's boy. What? Ooh. All right. So let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Um. When new Kerry Vincent was out, now you got all told Neil Farrell and um, Justin Thomas also go. You know about the line, losing two guys who are expected to be contributors, who were expected to be contributors on the D-line. Uh, what, Thomas had one sack in four games last year. And I think, um, you know, uh, Farrell's a three-year letterman and uh, had, I think, what, four sacks last year? So, I mean, it, it, it's – this this is what LSU wanted to be able to rotate those D linemen, keep them fresh. How does this impact the team? It's I think it's a big enough uh big enough impact. Uh, the first thing I look at is the experience from Kerry Vincent and Nick Farrell. Nick is someone who had four sacks last year was projected to start. 
Um, I have some question marks at the end. I know DeAndre uh, Anthony is ready to roll, but will we have enough middle pressure? I like the rotation, the run game, and the Polini defense. I really like that. But what questions me is the actual, um, the actual pressure, because now we're going to a one gap system, and now it's your front front four can pin their ears back and go into Polini defense. So that. I do see an improvement in the run stop because you got Big Ike and uh, Tyler Shelvin coming back. You know, you put those guys in the middle. They'll cause wreak, wreak havoc. I think Glenn Logan will probably be starting at that other three. You probably got a, a Logan, Tyler Shelvin with the rotation with him and Ike going any big guys. You just want them all and rotating every other series. DeAndre off the edge. And I got a question to mark about that next rusher. And then you have so much rotation in the middle with uh, um, Guillory. Uh, I think I'm saying his name right. Uh, Guillory and uh, Jaquil and Roy. Oh, yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys, if y'all listening to the D-Grub show, Hard in the Paint, sorry I butchered y'all names. But I think you look at that, the D-line is, is, is inside the trenches for the run game I'm confident about. Now these guys having to – I saw uh, Andre had tweeted back when Coach Polini got hired. Man, I've been waiting to get my hand back in the dirt. So he's someone I know has been working extremely hard. Um, but yeah, it's 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 insane. Um, on the offensive side, Eric Gilbert is wowing folks. They're comparing him to Calvin Johnson, who Scott Linehan worked with while he was with the Detroit Lions. Six five, two forty. Runs a 4-4. They're going to line him up everywhere uh, uh, across the line, um, inside, outside. This kid, with, the, with what they already have on the outside, this guy's got a chance for 50 catches as a freshman. If, if I mean, legit. LSU's offense this year is going to be scary good. Like, they were scary good. Last, they, were, they, were, they were still great last year. I mean, it was the greatest, right? But they're going to be scary good this year. Because, look, Miles Brennan, I know a lot of people were – Miles been at three years, was Joe Burrow roommate two years. He knows all the bells and whistles. He has a strong arm. We've seen him. He has playing experience. It's not like he's his first year. So, I'm not too much worried about Miles. You got Austin. As long Dezzy as he doesn't try guys. to be – as, as long as he doesn't try. try as long Joe as he Burrow. come out and be the best. But, again, the biggest difference with Joe Burrow was the coaching. And the Joe Brady. Now, a lot of folks don't know about Sheraton Carter. He was he's, – he's now on the offensive staff now at LSU. You got Kevin Falk. But Sheraton was under Sean Payton's offense for 15 years. So, where well, you had a Joe Brady there for two years. So, I, the, the, the offense actually gets better, if you ask me. Scott uh, Lingenham. Um, from from the Cowboys, he's the time he spent in the Cowboys, I thought he did a decent job uh, with 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 coordinating stuff out there with that offense. So, Coach Ed Ogeron, one thing he has proven to me in the past, let's say two years, is he can make some decent hires. And I think the, the more intelligent coaches make sure they get coaches that's way smarter than him. So he he's doing that. So I, I'm. With the returning starters you have on offense, that offense in line. Plus, you got guys in like Emery, Ty, uh, Price in the backfield. 
man, it's 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 this big tight end, big uh man, that dude five star coming out of high school, first five star tight end ever. That's big time stuff, bro. So I'm, yeah. I'm, boy, when football do play, I'm gonna be. And look, <laughs> uh, my boss called me. Chris called me from uh from LSU. Him and you know talking mm-hmm. to him, Gordon, me and Brandon, all this talking. Shoot, man, we 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 gonna be in this studio just just doing our thing because no no tailgating this year. So <laughs> now we may be in the stands. I heard we might be in the stands. That's gonna be cool. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. During the game. What's yeah. the set? Give you all a nice little setup in the bleachers and and let you do it out there. Yeah, I like that. Look, at least we ain't inside nothing, you know. Yeah, because the That's press box, <laughs> the press box is. I you straight on that this year, huh? You uh, unless, st- you skipping that press box, huh? I mean, unless they cut down on the number of people who are going. I mean, because you can't, we can't be sque- squeezed up in there like we, we are. Can't, we can't, can't bro. It. Can't do. We it. can't do it because they try. You know how? Like literally, my studio space, and then you right there, Brandon right here. So it's not. It's not a lot of. People don't know. It's, it's tight. I mean, it's you, your laptop, and that's about it. You, you, like, you're struggling to get that LSU program in your area to look stuff up because it's just it's that tight on game day, particularly when it's a major game, when it's a conference game, it's a nationally televised game. There's no room in there. There's no room. Well, they put us in those chairs then. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're sitting on the back chairs and watching it from the house. Holding your laptop. Like, I'm and, you know, we started working our way because I remember I started on the end all the way to the end of Tiger Stadium, behind the end zone, and I've slowly worked my way up to about the 35-yard line. So he's like, you know, you, you know, you've been there a minute when you start getting closer to the middle of the field. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Before we wrap that, there's, there's that one group that I do want to talk about, which is now has this could be the deepest LSU backfield in man. How far you want to go back? I mean, to 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 those early Saban teams. Because we talk about three sophomores in Curry, Emery, and Davis Price, and then a freshman in Cavantre Bradford that Orgeron can't stop talking about. Yeah, I would probably compare this to my red shirt junior year when we had Hester, Charles Scott, Keelan Williams. Um, no, 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 no. I would compare this to my savings last year there. We had Justin Vincent, Sharon Carey, Ali Broussard, Joseph Adai. Come on. We was loaded that year. Yeah. yeah. So this is probably this might be the stacking <laughs> since my freshman year at LSU. Oh oh four. That team was good too. I had Marcus Randall at quarterback. Uh we had LaRon Landry. He was a dog in the backfield. We had Skylar Green re- returning the punts. Like, all these stars that came off that 03 team, that 04 year was excited, exciting, but was the only bowl game I ever lost yeah. at LSU. We won all – even on our bad years, we won our bowl game. But that year, we lost to Iowa. It was, that, was the, that was the best bowl game, though. We yeah, had the you most said you had a blast down there. You said you had a oh, blast what? down there. Oh, yeah, so much fun down there. I'm still in love with Florida to this day. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that back – I mean – you know, Kevin Falk has said there is not going to be a guy that this week it could be this one, next week it could be this one, but that you know the standard that he holds for himself and for those backs, um, I wouldn't want to have to deal with it. That's a great problem for Miles Brennan to have too is that you have guys that are all 
kind of different in one way or another. Some can go outside better. Some can go inside better. Some are better at receiving. But you've got every option you could possibly want to hand that ball off to. Yeah, I like it. And it brings more options to our offense. You know, we can run a situation where two of those running backs are on the field. Now it could cause confusion for that linebacker and that safety in the box, which one to cover, which which one going to take the deep route, which one to check down. So I look forward to it. I can't wait to think next month I'm going to try to get to a couple of practices. Uh, but I'm, I'm I'm excited about this season. Man, it's, it's going to be the most historic. Uh, coming off a season you couldn't possibly have believed would have been more historic than last year. The last two years, fellas, she has been unlike anything they've ever seen. I will say, look at it like this. What was the additions? We'll leave the players alone for a second. We'll talk coaches. You got Scott Ling- uh, Lingingham from, from yeah. the Cowboys from Detroit. You have Sh- uh, Sheraton Carter, was on the Saints offensive staff for 15 years. You got my boy Bo Pelini back, baby. A national championship coach. On defense, I think our first four games of the year we went and added, we might have allowed only like 20 points. So I, I think the fact that we're getting back to that, folks are going to be excited about All the LSU fans out there are going to be excited about what we're bringing to the table this year. Man, I just I just wish those young men the best. I wish the, you know, the rest of these kids who, who are out here doing this, I wish them the best. And if we get to see some some good football, cool. If we don't, we'll live with it. But either way, my support is behind those young men and women who have to, who make all this stuff possible for us. Well, I watched the entire last dance. So we got a lot to talk about if we need if we need to make up some content. We got enough to talk about. But uh, yeah, prayers and blessings goes out to the kids, man, that's balling. And my oldest son, I don't know how they're gonna do it with the high school football down here. When they canceled the Big Ten, I felt like Louisiana high school football was canceled. Like as soon as the Big Ten, I'm like, hey, the Big Ten canceled. Bang. <laughs> for the Big Ten to do it, like, I will tell you this, part of the PR that goes into this for the Big Ten is the Big Ten values its reputation as that conference. Mm-hmm. Outside of the Ivy League, the Big Ten views itself as that conference as far as the combination of education and athletics. They look at themselves yep. that way. I believe was the first to go. <laughs> they were the first one. Yeah. I believe it's like, we don't, we, we ain't got none of this mess. These kids are going, they got to go to class anyway because we don't get athletic scholarships. So we're good. But <laughs> yeah, if you're, if you're Michigan, if you're Ohio State, I understand why their fan bases are really in, in, enraged. But those university presidents can't go. It's, a, it's just a different, for people who don't understand, it's just a different culture. And the university presidents there are far more likely to put their feet in the ground on stuff dealing with athletics than you are in the South, which requires that money maybe even more so than some of those towns in the Midwest. And they struggle too. But you got time, like, what, what is going down on a Mississippi, in Mississippi, on a Saturday night in the fall if, there ain't, if there's no... Mississippi State, there's no Mississippi football. What's going down? Literally nothing. The people losing their mind out there in Mississippi. No high school. I'm telling you, they don't know what to do. Nothing to watch. Yeah, you're right. It's, where it's, do you drive to? Where are you rolling to? You know what I'm yeah. saying? If you live in the middle of Mississippi, where are you going for the weekend? You, you, 
<laughs> you ain't got no football now. So I mean, right. it's, it's a whole different. You can't be the governor of Mississippi. And I get, you know, whether that's right or wrong, you can't be John Bell Edwards, come out the Capitol and say, and be the one who says, Ellis, you ain't playing football. You waiting for Greg Sankey to make that call. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, you, don't, you, you don't, you think a little you different about her. Mm-hmm. Nobody won't be the guy who canceled LSU football. <laughs> Nobody wants to be that person. You ain't lying, boy. All right, my brother, we're going to get up out of here. Tell folks again how they can follow you and the new stuff you got working, too. Definitely. Y'all make sure y'all check me out at BigFave504. Uh, there's a brand new episode of Inside the Trenches out. I was able to catch up with LSU great Rayon Hill. He came on there, former Buffalo Bill. Good show. And uh, y'all stay on the lookout for me and my boy BT show, uh, Inside the Mind of an Athlete. We'll keep y'all posted on that, man. D. Grubb, thank you so much for having me on again, bro. Anytime, man. Uh, Marlon yeah, Monday, yeah. baby. Marlon Monday is just back in the full effect, man. I appreciate yeah. you, everybody. Um, you know, make sure you check me out at DM Grub or at um, HITP underscore with underscore uh, DG or on Instagram at HITP with D Grub and my website, HITP with DG.com. So, till tomorrow, when we do this again, this has been another episode of Hard in the Paint. For all in favor, right? I am David Grub. We'll talk to you then.